Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. holding is my very first comic book that I have ever owned. A friend of mine collects comics, and he was in a comic store, and he saw Captain Carter. I love Agent Peggy Carter, and this is from the multiverse where she becomes Captain Carter. If you know, you know. And so now I'm the proud owner of my very first comic book. I don't know a lot. I'm learning. So I feel like in all the different ways we take in stories, I'm intrigued. So I had to do some interviews this week with some friends who are in the know, since I don't know enough. So let me show you my friend, Mike Murphy. He is the one who gave me this comic book. He lives out in Arizona. He's originally from Cincinnati. We met through publishing. He was a writer. I was an editor. And we've stayed friends. And I visited him in Phoenix. And so he tells me the story of how comics came into his life. He was about age 11, and his family decided to move from Cincinnati to Arizona, and it's a big car ride. And on that car ride, you get bored, right? Need some things to do. So they stop at all these convenience stores or grocery stores or little shops along the way, and he sees this rack full of, like, colorful things by the counter. And so he remembered that his dad had read something called sad sack. I guess it's a military cart, military humor of a fumbling guy who just couldn't do anything right. So Mike was like, hey, this looks fun. And he said it was just like really short, little one sheet, tiny story. So then every stop he made, he needed to pick up another one because he'd already read that one. And so along the way, he started to pick up this comic. And by the time he got to Arizona, he was hooked and he started to buy them monthly. He'd save up his, he said they were 10 cents a piece. And every month he'd buy his new issue and he'd collect his money to do that. And then it kept going. This was the 60s. And then he said at one point, he vividly remembers this moment. He walked into a Circle K and he saw the most amazing comic he'd ever laid eyes on. It was Batman. And he said his world changed. He said the villain was the Riddler. And to this day, Batman and Riddler are his favorite hero and villain. He loved this idea that there was always an adventure. He said he loved the idea that there was a hero and someone in peril, or there was a mystery to solve, or a criminal to go after. But he's like, you always knew back in those days when he was a kid. He's like, you always knew it was going to be resolved at the end. Because I asked him, I said, well, was there like a continuing story? And he said a lot of them at that time were self-contained stories. But he said in later years that it would become more of a come see the next story, right? A a bigger storyline. He told me that Batman, when he first began, was in the detective series. He said he used logic and he was always finding clues. And he said that was the way he would be one step ahead of the bad guy. But he said every time new artists and new authors took over, then they would change the spin on who famous characters were. So the examples up here right now, he said this is his very favorite artist named Neil 
Adams, who just passed away a few weeks ago. So he said his version of Batman was Mike's favorite. But he said sometimes they would take the characters and directions that you maybe didn't love. Maybe they would make some choices. There was a plot line arc, or you've done something different. And he said it would kind of ebb and flow on whether you liked the character at this moment. He said Marshall Rogers and Steve Englehart, if you look at this art, he said the cape became like its own very vivid character, a part of the scene. So you had to just kind of go with who was creating the character at the time. And he said by the 90s, that Batman moved away from logic, was a little bit more of an angry, violent kind of a guy. And he said, I took a break. I took a break from Batman. But he kept collecting. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. He said, since age 11, he happens to be in his 60s now, he has never let go of any issue of his comics. He says, I should tell you that they all might be for sale very soon. He's looking through his collection. He said he pulled them all out and started to organize and these were the piles that he came up with. Now, Jesus was a storyteller. We have been talking this summer through Jesus' parables in the book of Luke. And we realized that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus ever doodled while he told stories. Do you think he made any images? But he definitely was creating visual worlds through his words. When you read his parables, you can imagine it, right? There's a visual element to what Jesus described. And so you think about the things he might have been able to point to them in his community, like the landowner that builds a barn. Maybe he could point to a barn. Or he was talking about, you know, someone losing a coin. and He could show them a coin, right? He talked about things that were in their lives to give them a visual element. But every parable had a deeper meaning, a meaning about God, about faith, about living out what they believe. So we're going to examine the end of Luke 15 today. It's Jesus's longest parable. It's got a lot of detail in their characters. Some things are resolved and some unresolved. And some people say it's their very favorite parable that Jesus ever created. You might famously know it as the prodigal son, but that kind of misses a couple other characters in the story. So we might rename it by the end. Let's examine this well-known story. But first, recap. Because last week we began Luke 15, which is what started this whole series of stories that Jesus told. We did break it up a little bit. We had the lost sheep and the lost coin. And that's why sometimes your scripture might say lost son in this particular story. But the point of what started it all, Jesus tended to tell stories as a part of a conversation. Didn't just come out of nowhere. So Jesus had been teaching groups of people, and all kinds of people were coming to listen to him. And therefore, it indicated all kinds of people wanted to be disciples, like committed followers of Jesus. And some of the people standing nearby happened to be the Pharisees, those who were experts in God's law, and they kept muttering about the people who would show up. They were like, what are these sinners doing listening and following Jesus? And so Jesus told a series of stories in response to their muttering. So let's read in verse 11 as Jesus hits his third story. Jesus went on. Once there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, 
Give me my share in the property. So he divided up his livelihood between them. Okay, we're going to pause right there. The words, give me, it's a very, it's a, it's a demand in the original language. There's no please there, you know, it's, it's pretty harsh. And it would seem so absurd to the listeners of the day that from this very first sentence, they would be shocked because the son was basically saying, well, dad, I want my inheritance now, meaning I wish you were dead. So that's a big shock, right? I like automatopoeia from the comics, so we're going to have a few up here during the, the shocking moments of this parable. So the son, if he would say this to his dad, well then, culturally, you would cut him off. You would say, if, if he's going to say something so absurd, something so rude, then you would cut him off and he would be dead to the rest of the family. So the fact that the father didn't immediately shun him, send him away. It says, what is the, it says, what do he do? The father divided up the property. He's like, okay, I'm going to listen to your request. So that would have shocked the, the listeners there again. Like, why didn't you just cut him off? Land ownership in this time was the security, the stability of a family. So here's the thing. We read in history, the Mishnah was written in AD 200, And so we're going to assume that some of the land legalities were the same back in Jesus' day in AD 30 as he's talking. So in that time, a father could assign ownership to the property to his children before he passed away. That was a thing he could do. But then he had the right to live on that land, still farm on it, take, take stuff from the land until he died. If the one of the children decides to sell the land to someone else, then the buyer knew that he still had to allow this father the right to live off the land. That was part of the deal. But as soon as the the dad died, then this new owner outside of the family could take a hold of the land. Now the sons, the family, they could decide, well, we can try to buy it back and they could try to earn money and try to redeem the property. But see how this gets complicated, right? So this son's choice is not just saying something to his dad. This son's saying something to his whole family. Like, I just want to break it apart. And here's what happens next. Not many days later, the son turned his share into cash. So he's selling off the land. He's like, okay, I'm breaking it up. It's not a part of the family anymore. And he set off for a country far away where he spent his share and having a riotous good time. This is the New Testament for everyone translation. I just liked it. Riotous, good time. So part of this selling is that it says that just a few days. So maybe he didn't even take the time to get a good deal on the property, right? Like a good sale, finding people who really care about it or want to purchase for a good price. Just like he's out of there as quick as somebody says yes. So the note also that this talking about what he did with his money It didn't necessarily, it doesn't indicate necessarily how he spent it on what. You know, we don't know if it was all the bad things. It just says that he's just like throwing it away. And that's where the prodigal name comes from. That word, it just means like extravagant in a reckless manner. So he just, he doesn't care. He's just throwing it, throwing it away. Verse 14. When the son had spent it all, a severe famine came on that country and he found himself destitute. So he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to satisfy his hunger with the pods that the pigs were eating, and nobody gave him anything. He came to his senses. Just think, he said to himself, there are all my father's hired hands with plenty to eat, and here am I, starving to death. I shall get up, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I don't deserve to be called your son any longer. So make me like one of your hired hands. And he got up and he went to his father. So in taking a job like this, he's working with pigs. And maybe we think, well, that wouldn't be as fun of a job. But for a Jewish young man, this would mean he's breaking against his faith as well as his family. He's just hit his low. But he came to his senses. And did you see the way he was, like, practicing what he would say, right? He's, like, going over, like, okay, I'm going to go back. Do you ever do this? I got to go. I got to have this big conversation. Do you practice it? Do you say it out loud? Do you say it in your mind? Do you write it down? I write it down. I don't want to mess up the words. So here he goes. He's practicing, and he's going to go talk to his dad. Verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his heart was stirred with love and pity. He ran to him, hugged him tight, and kissed him. Father, the son began, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I don't deserve to be called your son any longer. And then he's cut off from his speech. We don't know if he stopped or did dad stop him. But the father said, he said to his servants, hurry, bring the best clothes, put them on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the calf that we fattened up. Kill it and let's eat and have a party. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. I love that opening phrase. While he was still a long way off. Do you ever know that you can see a person that you love just on the horizon? You can see them by their shape, by the way they're walking, right? You recognize the people that you love. You can tell it's them in the midst of a crowd or when they're far away. It means the dad was watching. He was watching. He wouldn't have seen him a long way off. I don't think it was by accident. He's probably looking for him, hoping every day. If you're a parent or just anyone who's been separated by a loved one, you know, you, you have people that you love in your life. And you can imagine that if they were apart from you, you probably ache probably keep watching. This dad, he might have been at the town gate at this time because that's where you could get a good view, someone approaching. And at the town gate, it was a very social scenario. The people who were well off would kind of have good seats. The townspeople would be about. So we can imagine that this happened all very publicly when the sun came back. Like people saw And it was not a dignified thing for a guy who's well off or has good standing to run. That's very humbling. It's like, that's not dignified. This is another surprise. This would be minds blown for this story, for the listeners. Because his dad ran. He didn't wait for the son to come groveling, walk all the way up to me. You apologize. Right? None of that. He just said, He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost and we found him. 
It's a beautiful description of that grace. So that's the piece of the parable we probably all are very familiar with. And hopefully you know the next part too, but some people stop there. But there's another piece of the story. There's another family member we haven't met yet. The older son. We know the dad divided up his property between a couple of people. The older son was out in the fields. Verse 25. When he came home and got near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother's come home, he said. Your father's thrown a great party. He's killed the fattened calf because he's got him back safe and well. Well, the brother flew into a rage and wouldn't go in. Then his father came out and pleaded with him. Look here, he said to his father, I've been slaving for you all these years. I've never disobeyed a single commandment of yours, and you never even gave me a young goat so I could have a party with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, once he's finished gobbling up your livelihood, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, he replied, you're always with me. Everything I have belongs to you. But we had to celebrate and be happy. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Notice that the dad and the servant keep speaking of the two as like, your brothers. And the older brother's like, that son of yours. Like, I'm not claiming him right now. He's your kid. I don't claim him as my brother. He's like, I've been slaving for you. It was such an exaggeration. Because if the dads divided up the land, then the older son gets a double share. So he got two-thirds. A third of the land is what the younger brother sold off. And while he was alive, now that the dad gave him ownership, they were co-bosses. They were partners in this whole deal. They worked together as equals. That's how it was set up now. So... The son wasn't serving the dad at this point. They were working together, and that's how the dad had seen it. Like, you're always here. We're always together. We're doing this. We're a team. But knowing that might be why the older brother's a little bit upset here. Because if dad's throwing a party and dad's using the resources of the land, it's now belonging to the older brother too, right? So he's like, you just took my stuff to celebrate the kid who didn't even care about. He didn't care about the family. He didn't care about this land. I can, I can always relate to the older brother. I think I would feel that. I'm an oldest sibling. I might feel that. He said, I never disobeyed, Dad. And in those words, remember Jesus was speaking to an audience that had sinners of the community. They would have been like the younger brother. And there was Pharisees who might have felt that ownership of their faith and the law, God's law. I've, we have not disobeyed. This is how we live. You can see that picture. Another friend of mine who enjoys comic books says that there's a particular author, G. Willow Wilson, who was the original writer for the Ms. Marvel series. And he said she does a really good job at using dialogue quickly to tell you what kind of person this character is. And I think here in Jesus' story, he uses very few words overall. And yet we get a picture, right? We can see where the hearts of all the people in the story are right at this moment. 
the older son. In this moment, when he is refusing to come inside, it was, if it was a very wealthy house, then they probably would have had doors open and the party was in view of anybody who walked by. Or if he was a little less wealthy and he was a part of town, then the son is literally standing on the street, refusing to come inside, like making a public spectacle. Not quietly disagreeing with dad. He's disrespecting him in front of other people. That's, that's just as bad as his brother. Listeners of the day may have even been cheering for like, oh yeah, older son, stick it to him because he didn't have grace. But notice this, the dad doesn't kick out the older son any more than he cut off the younger son, right? They're still part of his family. The dad's approach is full of grace saying, you're still invited to the party. Come on in, you're, you're always with me. I haven't let go of you. So there, there we have a beautiful picture of one son reckless, another son stubborn, and the dad who loves them both. Just like a limited series comic book run, Jesus had this little mini-series of parables. So let's look at them. Who, if we're labeling our villains, at first the younger son looked like a villain, didn't he? He made very selfish choices, and he represented, as we said, all those in the community that the Pharisees were labeling as less than. But wait, there was a turnaround. The villain had a change of heart, and he changed his ways, and the Pharisees didn't want to believe or trust that that was happening because they've already labeled them, right? The Pharisees have labeled the people in their community as who the villains are. And so for them to see the hero of the story show love and grace and forgiveness, They didn't like the way that felt. So a new villain appears on the scene and it's them. It's calling them out. The older son represents all those who were muttering, who were frustrated by the fact that somebody else got a party when they've been faithful this whole time. But the hero, he doesn't want anyone to be on the outside. He's ready to forgive whichever way that a person was feeling. So the father, he leaves the door open at the end of that party. And if you look in your Bibles, there's no other verses. We're done. Kind of open-ended. To be continued. So I was reading my comic book that my friend gave me. It has three little words down here. To be continued. I was like, thanks. I don't even get a full story. He teased me and he said, you might want to go to find a comic store and buy the next in the series. This is an example from Ms. Marvel where it says to be continued. So that's what Jesus did for us. He gave us a cliffhanger. Does the young son stay true to his path? Does the older brother ever reconcile with his brother or with his dad? We don't know. We get to think through what that means no matter which way the plot goes from here. I don't know. Do you like open-ended stories? Do you want it to have a firm ending? We've talked about this before. Jesus leaves his parables open sometimes. We have to grapple with it. Kind of the same way of life. Some conflicts are resolved and others just kind of hang there. So I talked with someone else about this concept in comics. You know, like, 
okay, which do you like better? Do you like the self-contained, the story is all in one piece? Or do you like to keep going, keep having intrigue? And this friend said, to be continued, it's got pros and cons. He said, really, his favorite ones are the one, are all in one piece, where he does see a clear ending. But he, he said, I appreciate the larger universe. Like, if there's storylines here and going there and they interweave, he said it gives a chance for new authors, new artists to jump in, put their spin on it, and innovate or be creative. And he's like, yeah, you kind of have to deal with the boring ones or the ones that don't make any sense. But he's like, you hold on because you find these gems and these moments where the right artist and the right author comes together and creates a whole new perspective on a familiar character. Jesus took familiar people. He put a new spin on it for his listeners. What they expected didn't happen. And so as he left that door open, we kind of look and say, how do we live as a result of this? Every time we read the book of Luke, we keep asking ourselves, we look at Jesus's life, and now we're looking at the stories telling, what does it mean to us here today? I just think it means it's continued, to be continued. I don't know the answer for you. We get to create what's next in our lives. Other people created us, but at this point, we are the author. We are the artist. We get to choose how we appear to the world. We get to choose how we react to the plot lines coming at us, whether it's villains coming at us or heroes. We get to decide. And at times, we might relate more to the lost things in Jesus' parable. I love how Richard Vinson so eloquently sums up Luke 15. There are various ways to be lost in these parables. You could be misplaced like a lost coin. You could be inattentive and clueless like a sheep that nibbles its way from the flock and into a tight spot. You could be headstrong and foolish like the younger son. You could be angry and unforgiving like the older brother. But in these parables, there is a savior for each kind of lost. Maybe at times in your life, you feel like you're, you're the one doing the finding. You know people who have gone astray, who've broken some relationships, and you're, you're out there actively trying to bring them back. Maybe you connect more to that shepherd looking for a sheep, or a woman sweeping for a coin, or a parent trying to deal with stubborn children. From this perspective... N.T. Wright says, we must ask, how can we, as Christians individually, as a church body, how can we celebrate the party of God's love in such a way as to welcome not only the younger brothers who have come back from the dead, but also the older brothers who thought there was nothing wrong with them? And I don't know about you, but I think at different times in life, it's easier to show grace to some kind of people than others. So we have to grapple with that and see who we relate to in this story. I think, I think throughout our lives, we're going we're gonna to ebb and flow. We're going to sometimes feel lost. We're going to sometimes be the one finding. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. But two final things that I look at 
Jesus, as the artist, has drawn us a picture of the hero of the story. And I don't want us to go past this. To note that the Father, what is, he's creating connectivity. He's trying to bring these boys back to one another, to himself, to the family, into community. And the reason I like this word and say connectivity is it's one of our church values. We all know in life that it can feel very isolating at times. You can go to a place and you can be among people and just still feel alone. And our purpose is to live the way Jesus pointed out God is living in this parable. God is the Father. He's connecting people. So our goal is to connect to one another and to Jesus. And the second thing I see is just to remember that the Father in this parable is God. Jesus could have picked any character. He could have created any character he wanted to, dis- to demonstrate who the Heavenly Father was. And there's so many of us and so many people we love who maybe we just, you hear God and you hear his name and then you, you feel anger. You feel like he's mad at you or you feel like he's distant and unable to connect. And we just have to keep rereading Luke 15. He is a God who's running toward people to close up distance to love, to connect. God has a dad's heart full of love, and his heart can break, but he doesn't give up hope. He keeps watching. He keeps going outside the party to pull people back in. He always wants restoration, and he always gives us that chance. That's how God looks at us. Last week, we noted all of these parties, right? In every piece of this parable, there was a party today. Last week, there were two parties over a lost sheep and a lost coin. Because God celebrates when we decide to turn away from self and care about others, care about him as God. And so we said, on earth, how we celebrate that is through baptism. We celebrate when somebody says, I want to follow Jesus. And last week, our our friends from Venezuela were in town, and they showed us videos and told us stories of all the different people that they have met and got to baptize in Venezuela. And we care about that here, too. If you ever have any questions about what it means when God runs after you, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be baptized, if that's something you've never done, come talk to me. I'd love to tell more. So what's next for you? to be continued. You're the artist. You're the author now. What's next for you? I can't wait to see your story. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for loving us and coming after us, for reminding us that we don't have to be alone, for connecting us to each other and to you. Thank you for showing us stories that, that are open-ended and that, that we get to participate in. Help us to follow after you and try to learn from your example so that we take part in writing the next, the next issue. 
the next bit of the story. Thanks for trusting us with your love and with the opportunity to share your love with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.